From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. Thank you for joining us for another broadcast of Let the Bible Speak, featuring messages preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. Currently, Dr. Cairns is bringing a series of studies in the earthly life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, messages that focus on the Savior Himself, as revealed in His teaching and miracles, His atoning death on the cross, and His glorious resurrection. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns in just a few minutes. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, as found in his collection called Morning and Evening. Today's text is found in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 26. Your heavenly Father. God's people are doubly his children. They are his offspring by creation, and they are his sons by adoption in Christ. Hence, they are privileged to call him... Our Father, which art in heaven. Father, oh, what a precious word is that. Here is authority. If I be a father, where is mine honor? If ye be sons, where is your obedience? Here is affection mingled with authority, an authority which does not provoke rebellion, an obedience demanded which is most cheerfully rendered, which would not be withheld even if it might. The obedience which God's children yield to Him must be loving obedience. Do not go about the service of God as slaves to their taskmaster's toil, but run in the way of His commands, because it is your Father's way. Yield your bodies as instruments of righteousness, because righteousness is your Father's will, and His will should be the will of His child. Father, here is a kingly attribute, so sweetly veiled in love, that the king's crown is forgotten in the king's face, and his scepter becomes not a rod of iron, but a silver scepter of mercy. The scepter, indeed, seems to be forgotten in the tender hand of him who wields it. Father, here is honor and love. How great is a father's love to his children! That which friendship cannot do, and mere benevolence will not attempt— a father's heart and hand must do for his sons. They are his offspring. He must bless them. They are his children. He must show himself strong in their defense. If an earthly father watches over his children with unceasing love and care, how much more does our heavenly father? Abba, father, he who can say this hath uttered better music than cherubim or seraphim can reach. There is heaven in the depth of that word, father. There is all I can ask, all my necessities can demand, all my wishes can desire. I have all in all to all eternity when I can say, Father. 
characteristics of the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century was the preeminent place given to the Bible. The Reformers' motto was, The Bible alone, the religion of the Protestants. Men such as Martin Luther and John Knox insisted that the Holy Scriptures contain everything necessary for Christian faith and practice. It is important for believers in the 21st century to understand the central significance of the Bible in daily living and in the let the Bible Speak is making available free of charge a booklet called The Bible and the Protestant Reformation, published by the Trinitarian Bible Society. Obtain your copy, simply email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you wish, you may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Just ask for your copy of The Bible and the Protestant Reformation, and we'll be delighted to Today on Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Cairns continues a message entitled, The Unconcealable Christ. In Matthew chapter 15 and in Mark chapter 7, we find the account of Christ and the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter was possessed of an unclean spirit. The setting is in a Gentile land and among a people hated by the Jews. Yet the Lord Jesus went there, apparently to get away from the constant crowds for a while. He had said to the woman that he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, leading some to assume that all Gentiles would be lost. However, Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost, both Jews and Gentiles. Mark 7 and verse 24 gives the theme for this message. Christ entered into a house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. The lesson is clear. If Christ is truly in the heart, his presence will be known. Now Dr. Cairns brings the next portion of this message, the unconcealable Christ. Now we see him in the Gentile world, and we see a Gentile, not only a Gentile, but a Syrophoenician, one whose nationality was particularly antagonistic 
to the Jewish people. Not only a Syrophoenician, but a heathen. As the word translated Greekly, it's not speaking of Greek by nationality, it's speaking of her as a heathen. When such a woman comes to him, in a place to which he had not been sent to build his kingdom according to God's eternal purpose, we would put two and two together and say, Jesus will do and can do no work there. But you see, we have got to realize that the eternal purpose of God does not place the restrictions on him that our little minds and theological schemes may conceive that they place upon him. To us, the logic would be irrefutable. God sent you only to the house of Israel. This is a Syrophoenician woman living in Sidon. She's a heathen and a Gentile. Therefore, according to the purpose of God, she is not to be reached with the gospel. But the fact of the matter is that Christ did work there. And he did do his kingdom ministry there. However much it may appear to men to contradict God's sovereign purpose, the truth is it did not contradict that purpose. We must learn something that humbles us here. You know, it's always true when people learn a little theology, they think they know more than they really do. And it's always tragic to see this when they have their little theological scheme and they can box the infinite God up within the boundaries of that scheme and they think they can tell God whom he can love and whom he can't love and whom he can save and whom he can't save. I believe absolutely that God works according to his sovereign eternal purpose. I believe in the predestinating, electing decree of a sovereign God. But I also believe that it is the utmost folly for me or anybody else to come along and try by my logic to work out how God must execute that purpose. I know a Baptist church in England was quite a strong Baptist church at the time. Their minister was a very good preacher and uh, a very effective evangelist. But these people were of the persuasion that they were strict Baptists. And they believed so strongly in their view of God's predestinating purpose, that they really got angry when the preacher invited a free Presbyterian along to preach, who determined, I think there was a little bit of uh, Ulster, uh, what word should I best use? Don't want to be too hard on the preacher, but... Uh, there was impishness in it at least. Maybe badness. And he determined, I will have these people sing the hymn, Whosoever will may come. 
Man, they choked so much in that that many of them could not, would not countenance it whatsoever. The fact that it's a quotation practically from Scripture made no difference. You see, the thing is this. God is the best judge of his own mind. I have had people come to me uh, and question, how can you indiscriminately invite sinners to Jesus? How can you do that? Why do you not simply wait for God to bring in his elect? Because the Lord Jesus didn't tell me to wait till God brings in his elect. He told me to go and preach the gospel to every creature. And God will declare his purpose just as clearly by his deeds as he does by his words. And that's what he did on this occasion. You see, one thing is very clear here, and it is that the Lord is always accessible to the cry of the needy. And the Lord Jesus will always respond to the plea of faith. So whatever the initial response might have appeared, when this woman came crying, there was nothing more certain in the universe than this. He would respond. He would respond. There was no doubt about it. And had this story ended in any other way, we would have had something in Scripture that was flying uh, in the face of everything else we know of our God and of His Son. There was no possible doubt that Christ would respond ultimately as He did. And for that reason, even though He was there quietly, for that reason, because he will respond and must respond to the plea of faith, he could not be hit. As I thought in those words, I thought they introduced us to a glorious subject. The subject of the unconcealable Christ. The unconcealable Christ. He could not be hid. And you know, that's as true today as it was all those centuries ago. Wherever Jesus is, his glorious presence must be obvious. It must be revealed. Whatever trouble is taken to hide the fact that he's there, it cannot be done. He can't be hid. The unconcealable crack. This is true, for example, in the life of every saved sinner. If you're saved, then Christ is in you. But if Christ is in you, his presence will be evident and his presence will be real. Uh, I have been asked many times about the possibility of being a secret disciple. Well, I think we have some evidence in the New Testament that there were one or two secret disciples during the life of Christ. But sooner than they would have imagined, the time came when they were, to use the modern jargon, they were outed. And they were certainly made known. 
why would anybody want to know, can I be a secret disciple? I can understand in places like communist Russia during the times of persecution. I can understand in times when to be uh, obviously publicly identified as a follower of Christ was to invite uh, imprisonment or worse, that uh, people would be careful. And I find no fault with those folk. But they still weren't secret disciples. There were hundreds of people who knew them. There were others who, from whom it could not be hid. Because if Christ is in you, the evidence will be real and it will be plain. It'll be evident to you. It'll be evident to those you live with. It'll be evident to those you're working with. If Christ is in you, he cannot be concealed. He'll be the center of your life. He'll be the center of your thoughts. He'll be the center of your plans. Peter says to you that believe, he's precious. The psalmist Asaph in Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? Who is there upon the earth that I desire beside thee? Oh, here's the evidence of the presence of Christ. And of course, if he's there, he'll be your guide, he'll be your shepherd, he'll be your leader, he'll be your example. He will make himself known to you in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He will work through his Spirit upon your heart and upon your conscience, giving you desires after holiness, hatred of your sin, a despising of the things that are antagonistic to his grace. There is that within a Christian that is not the product of the Christian's own mind and will and effort, but is the product of the Spirit of Christ that drives him, impels him toward holiness. You see where Jesus is in a life? He cannot be hid. And where people tell me that Jesus is there, but he's hidden under layers of open worldliness, practiced wickedness, profanity, uncleanness, carelessness of the things of God, I have grave doubts that Jesus is there at all. Where he is, he will be known and his presence will be evident. Do not fool yourself that you have Christ within you, the hope of glory, if there is no evidence of his presence, no desire after seeking him, living for him, loving him, but you're more content to live without him, except in the judgment day when you stand before God. Anybody who sees Jesus Christ as a mere insurance from the fires of hell and nothing else, I fear, is still without him. For you can't hide him if he's there. What's true in our hearts and souls is certainly true in the experiences of life. If you have Christ in the vessel, you may hit the storm, but he'll be with you in the storm. And he will be to his people in the storm what he was to the disciples in the ship when it was storm-tossed in the Sea of Galilee. In all our joys, he will be our chief joy. 
In all our trials and tribulations, he will be our chief comfort and assurance. For a while, he may appear to hide his face, just as happened in the portion we've been reading. But he must make himself known. He must make himself known. He will make himself known and his presence felt. The trial of our faith is a precious thing because it is to make his presence all the more glorious at the proper time of Christ's revelation of himself. It is to make us more all, all the more desirous. It is to make us less and less attached to the world and more and more to yearn after him. It's the reason he hides his face. For a short time, he says, I have forsaken you, or appear to have. But with great mercies, I'll gather you. That's how the Lord deals with his people. Is not Job the outstanding example of this? You think of all that time that Job went on. And what was he saying? Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Oh, that I could come before God. Oh, that he would come and speak to me now. Where is God when I need him? Where is God when my, my family's gone, my health is gone, my wealth is gone, my friends have gone, my reputation's gone? What Satan wanted him to be able to say was, my faith has gone. And though at times I think Job came perilously close, he couldn't deny the Lord. That's why he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You see, in even those extreme circumstances, the Lord was there. When he couldn't see him, he was still there. When he couldn't feel him, he was still there. When there was no evident demonstration of his presence, he was still there, watching. Until the right time. And Job had come to the end of himself. And words had dried up. Then the Lord showed himself. You see, in the experiences of life, cry to him. In a church this size this morning, there is no doubt, no doubt whatsoever, that there are people sitting here with burdens that crush their hearts, with dark thoughts that afflict their minds, with pains that rack their bodies. And they need, they need the Lord to show himself. Listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We're here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina. 
1-800-273-29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. If you wish, you may call us at 1-864-244-2408. That's 1-864-244-2408. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak. (music) 